you would pray with me as we prepare to look into the treasures of God's word together on this evening. Father, we are indeed grateful to you and we praise you for this opportunity to come together and worship you and praise your holy name and to remember your servant who you used to do great things in this earth. We pray now as we look into your word that you will inform our minds and inspire our hearts so that we can impact the world for your glory. Open our eyes to the whole wonders from your truth, our ears that we may hear your truth, our minds that we may understand and comprehend the truth of your word, but most importantly, open our hearts that we may receive with meekness your word, which is able to save our souls. Grant us now the physical strength and spiritual energy to declare your word faithfully. We will give you the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for, again, for being a part of this worship experience all this evening. Thanks to our minister of music, our worship team, media personnel, and all who have assisted in serving during this worship experience as well. Tonight, I uh, also have great news for church. Sister Karen Brown has returned home. And we thank God for uh, his blessings upon her. Uh, not only sparing her life, but uh, bringing her thus far on her journey to recovery. And she asks you to continue to pray for her. And I know that you will, and please know Sister Brown, if you're listening, that we are indeed uh, remembering you when we bow before the Lord. Today is also a historic day because of the inauguration of a new administration. I'm sure that you are praying for the new president and vice president and the administration. Pray for all of our leaders. There's every time that we need to pray. That time is now. So let's be in prayer for the healing of our nation, of physical, social, and emotional wounds that have been exposed. So we thank God for new beginnings. Amen. Tonight as we celebrate the life of Dr. King, I call your attention to short pericope, a short text in Mark chapter 3, Mark's gospel chapter 3, looking at verse 20 through verse 22, Mark's gospel chapter 3, verse 20 through verse 22, I ask you to take your copy of God's word and join me there and stand wherever you are out of reverence for this is the word of God. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, 21, and 22. The Bible says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so, they, so that they could not eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by the Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. 
Thus ends the reading of God's word. Then he went home, and the crowds gathered again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him. And they were saying, he's out of his mind. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by the Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. I want to talk very briefly from the thought misunderstood by the masses. Misunderstood by the masses. Misunderstood by the masses. Brothers and sisters, my journey in scholarship and academia has taught me the importance of sources. To check your sources. Because the source from which you gain knowledge matters. Even now, many in our country has been misled, bamboozled, misguided by erroneous, false sources. So whenever you're doing scholarly work, the sources that you choose have a lot to do with the credibility of your findings. Because every source is written by an individual who gives their perspective and oftentimes their opinion and sometimes ignore what the facts are concerning subject matter in which they discuss. And human nature and in the fallen state of man always wanting to be right, always trying to control the narrative to fit their narrow perspective. We have a tendency to whitewash history, edit the past, and redefine iconic figures to fit our story. We desire to betray even this inner narrative, even if it is filled with lies and alternative facts. Or simply just fake news. We have a propensity, my brothers and sisters, to lift people up in history and make them beloved. And oftentimes make it seem as if they were always embraced. And therefore we love them while they're in the grave, but had grave disdain for them while they were alive. The sad thing is this portrayal of this portrait that is painted and uplifted and erected is oftentimes done by those who sought to obstruct or oppress the work that the individual gave their lives to. And they act as if they always embrace the tenets of their efforts. And when there are deceased, we love them because
views that seem to be so radical in the past has become mainstream today. This is what we find when we look at the survey of how people have approached Dr. King and his wife. Today there's a monument on the National Mall. Today there are streets named after him in virtually every community, even though many times those streets that are named after him are in the hood, not necessarily in the main thoroughfare of the community or the city. But many people lift him up now, use different quotes from speeches, as if he's always been the model, as if he's always been the image of what we aspire to be. The fact that matter is, if you look at an unedited view of the past, you will find that Dr. King spent much of his life being misunderstood, mischaracterized, and misrepresented by the people of our nation, of our community, is oftentimes misunderstood. He's been 
been serving and as he has served and as he has taught, the Bible makes it plain that crowds have come from all around, from every direction, from every region to hear what Jesus had to say and to watch what Jesus was doing. He was a main attraction. He was a headliner. By the time he came back from this mountain retreat with those 12 gentlemen that he had called out from the crowd to be with him, and the text says that he comes to his home and the crowd meets him at his address and they are so demanding, they are pressing in with such um, such determination that the Bible says that Jesus could not even enjoy his meal. And as the masses are gathering together to hear Jesus and bring in those who are sick so that Jesus might be able to heal them, we then get to understand or we are introduced to the fact that there are those within the masses who are not having a positive view of Jesus Christ. There are those who misunderstand him, who mischaracterize him, misrepresent him. In spite of all the good that he was doing, was misunderstood by the masses. The text says that Jesus is sitting there, the crowd is gathering together, and these who misunderstood him are somewhat surprising to us. We see who misunderstands the Savior. Who from the masses misunderstood him. We, we will be surprised to discover those who were mischaracterizing him. The text says that his family heard and they went to siege him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. His family misunderstood him. His family mischaracterized him. His family misrepresented him because they have come to the conclusion that he's out of his mind and he must be brought back under control. And if it wasn't enough that he's misunderstood by his family, he's also misunderstood by religious leaders. Certainly you would not expect the religious elite of Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the scribes, the, those who were doctors in the law, those who knew the Torah, those who knew uh, that the Messiah was promised, those who should have known how to have indicators that Jesus was the promised Messiah, those who should have walked closely enough with God to where they could understand what God was doing while God was walking amongst them. But yet the text says that it is the religious and 
religious leaders who misunderstand Jesus. They call him demon possessed. Oftentimes trying to detour others from being a part of the movement. 
misunderstood him. But the next thing we have to consider is not only who misunderstood him, but why did they misunderstand him? Jesus' family thinks that he's crazy because Jesus' popularity and Jesus drawing the crowds gives the impression that Jesus perhaps is trying to lead an insurrection against the Roman government. Much like what we saw a couple of weeks ago at the Capitol in our country. They thought Jesus was trying to stir them up and take on the political structures because that's what people were saying because that, was, that is what they wanted Jesus to do. They, they wanted Jesus to become king. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the government. Many times in scripture, the Bible highlights how Jesus had to slip away from the crowd because they had an agenda to make him king. And his family has heard about these crowds that are gathering around Jesus. And they are afraid that Jesus is participating or Jesus has produced a work or a movement that would try to overthrow the powerful Roman government. And they are afraid. And they misunderstood it because they didn't understand the work that he was called to do. They misunderstood it because they didn't understand his purpose. Even the religious leaders, why would you call him the Beelzebub? Why would you say he's the prince of demons? Well, my brothers and sisters, the only reason why you would do that is to try to discredit Jesus. He's trying to discredit Jesus because Jesus highlights for the people their deficiencies. Jesus highlights for the people that they are sitting in ivory towers and they're holding positions and have titles, but they're not fulfilling the responsibilities that come along with this title. Jesus is out there on the outskirts of community, serving the poor, serving the least, serving those who have been thrown aside and left alone in the cold while they were closing up in the temple and simply enjoying the good life and ignoring what was going on in the populace of the people around them and not even really concerned about their spiritual condition and let alone their physical condition. And Jesus is highlighting their deficiencies so they attempt to discredit Jesus by sparring and marring his name, calling him a Beelzebub, and trying to explain that the only reason why he's doing this is because he's possessed by demons himself. Why did people misunderstand King? Why would they stand on the sidelines? Why would those in power try to discredit him? Try to scandalize him? Try to take his character? Try to start disturbances within his home? Tap his phone lines? Why would all of this happen? Well, the fact of the matter is, 
some of his own people misunderstood. Some of his own people thought that he perhaps was just trying to make a name for himself. Some of his own people thought that he was getting too much notoriety, too much credit. Some of his own people stood on the sidelines because they were afraid that what he was doing would be more detrimental than helpful. And those who were in power misunderstood him because he heralded truth to power, because he stood for righteousness, because he had that epiphany in Montgomery, Alabama, when the Lord told him, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, stand up for justice. And as he took on that mantle that, and became that prophetic voice, not just a civil rights leader, that, that was not what he was doing. He, he was a preacher, he was a Christian who looked at the scriptures and from the scriptures and through his relationship with God, he lifted up his voice prophetically and spoke what was truth, spoke what was right. And as a result, many people in great power were threatened and tried to assassinate him with their words and their bullets. But then Jesus shows us something that I've done. How do you handle, how do you handle being misunderstood by the masses? When the masses are oftentimes people who you would think would be your greatest children. How do you handle being understood by the masses when they are trying to distort your purpose and discredit your character? How do you handle being misunderstood? Jesus and King shows us that you handle being misunderstood by accepting the fact that some people will not understand. That some people will never understand what God is telling you to do. Some people will never understand why I do it now. And some people will never understand why you go about doing it the way that you go about doing it. Some people will never understand what God is doing in your life. And therefore what you must do is learn how to ignore those who don't understand. Because if you get too caught up in addressing everybody who misunderstands, you will miss out on fulfilling your purpose. Jesus ignores them. Jesus basically says, y'all sound foolish. Why would the prince of demons cast out demons? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus makes out the whole point that it sounds completely ridiculous what you're saying to try to discredit me and how what you're saying to try to, to harm my character and as a result that your understanding is not theologically sound. It's not even rationally sound. He ignores him and keeps on working. His 
and his brothers get down to town. And when Jesus gets there, the people tell him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're trying to get Jesus to come out so that they can seize him and take him back home. But Jesus just simply says, they don't understand what I'm doing. They don't understand what God is calling me to. They haven't been called to fully grasp what I am purposed for in the earth and why. Skim 
speeches and pull out the lines that we feel are competitive, where we feel match our narrative and completely divorce them out of the context for which they were spoken. You can't misrepresent him. You can't misrepresent him. I think that the king day is simply about service. If we're going to honor Dr. King, it's not about passing out free stuff. It's not about what we do in the community. We ought to do that. We ought to do that every day. Not just for King Day. We ought to do it every time we have an opportunity. But if we want to really honor him, we have to recognize that King served the community. But he did not serve by passing out chicken. He served by speaking truth to power. He served by raising the narrative and raising the voices and lifting up the conversation to our more higher and nobler and moral plane. He served my brothers and sisters by looking out and seeing the systematic problems in our society and then addressing those problems and creating the tension that was necessary to bring about negotiation that would then change public policy. We cannot just honor him by thinking that passing out place is what he did. He served by being willing to fight for justice and equality. And it's okay to pass out place, but if you pass out place to poor people and not taking enough time to consider why they are poor and then trying to do what you can to resolve the issue that they are facing, then my brothers and sisters, our service is not complete. Don't misrepresent and say it's all about unity. Dr. King was not preaching kumbaya. He was not preaching, can we all just get along? He was not preaching uh, that we just, my, you are my friend and I'm your friend and, and we just need to come together and be friends. No, King was preaching unity, but unity not for the sake of just coming together for follow-up, but unity around an ideal, unity around principles, unity around justice. Unity, not unity for the sake of Snapchat, Instagram, or Facebook, but unity that extends beyond a picture and is seen in our hearts. We can't misrepresent him even now when he's gone. We must still use our voices. We must still recapture that prophetic voice. Recognize the radicalness that came along with saying the words that he spoke on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. The radicalness of calling out America for giving us a bad check. The, the radicalness Speaking about a day where a dream can come into fruition. The radicalness of opposing a Vietnam War that was unjust and unnecessary. The radicalness of doing as our foreparents would say, I go if I have to go by myself. We must not misrepresent him 
but embrace who he was, embrace what he taught. And not just king. We can't be guilty of misrepresenting Jesus there are a lot of people who have reduced Jesus to just a deity to be worshipped and adored. Have reduced Jesus to a turn the other cheek. Have reduced Jesus to simply, my brothers and sisters, this whole idea of just avoiding confrontation. When I read my Bible, the Savior was the Prince of Peace. But he also had a radicalness. He was a revolutionary thinker. He was revolutionary and radical in his teaching. Love the enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. He was radical in his approach, touching lepers and touching things that were unclean. He was radical, my brothers and my sisters, in his love. He was radical in his teaching. He was radical. And how he spoke truth to power, calling people vipers, hypocrites. Radical enough to go into the temple and Turn over tables, radical. Enough to call out wrong. Radical enough to stand, even when he had to stand by himself. And we must be careful that we don't misrepresent Jesus today and make it seem as if Jesus is just about high in the sky and get to the other side. But Jesus is about caring for the least of these caring. For those who are on the outskirts of society, Jesus is about doing what was just and righteous. And on this night, as we pause, let us not be guilty of misunderstanding, but also let us not be guilty of misrepresenting. Let us embrace the call to radical living, not radical, radical living for justice, radical living for truth, radical living for Jesus Christ, not just to praise him, but to do what he did, to care for the least, to stand for what is right, to work for a more equitable society. And by, while doing that, extend them to salvation. God bless you.